In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witness. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. But everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Luke. Hi, Luke. Good to Hi. have you here. Good to be here. You are the other brother, which is the way that I think at least five of our listeners associate with you. <laughs> yep. Well, I like to tell people that third time's the charm, you know, being the third son. Yeah. They were rolling rolling for snake <laughs> eyes, huh? Exactly. After those two duds that came first. Yep. And I think this is my fourth time on the podcast. Really? Yeah. Great. Well, I'm going to step out and I think you've got this. We're going to put together a legacy series. The Luke legacy series. Yeah. With just the ones that I've had. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, we'll just trim off all that excess slough and uh, get down to the real gold. <laughs> Which is really just chaff a, out of the way. It's really just a catalog of all the issues I've had that you've brought in for me to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're here to talk about your toe fungus. It's coming along well. <laughs> I don't think you're meant to cultivate it. Oh. Might be part of your problem. I thought that's where oyster mushrooms came from. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, $7 for uh, half a pound, man. You can really... Make turn Can't profit. Really put on your shoe with that big of a mushroom, <laughs> though. Gross. <laughs> For real. How far do you want to take this thing? I don't want to take it any further. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, this morning, you're not wrong, actually. I do seem to kind of reach out to you and ask if you wouldn't mind coming in and dropping trow and talking about your issues. Well, because I think these come out of conversations we're having off mic, you know? They do. Yeah, we do have conversations off mic. Um, and that limited series is coming soon to HBO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we only interact if it's uh, to create content. <laughs> exactly. If there's not a camera around, we just sit silently like marionettes waiting for the puppeteer. Yeah, or like vampires in our little coffins. <laughs> wow, that's significantly darker. <laughs> it could go sci-fi. I don't know. Cryosleep? <laughs> sure. Uh, eh. All right. As long as our hands are folded across our chest, it feels vampiric. <laughs> Well, we were having, Ooh. what, a conversation several months ago during a podcast mm -hmm. meeting, and yep. uh, this is a little behind the, the scenes here, lifting the hood. One of the ways that we do it, I actually really like, is that we have this empty fourth seat in our podcast meetings, and we call it like the rotating fourth. So we'll bring in somebody who hasn't been in the groove, isn't doing the content in the dailies with us for fresh eyes. And I think that's really, really, really helpful. And one time that was you. And we're like, Luke, what are you thinking about? What are you wrestling with that we've forgotten? Because we get tunnel vision when we're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to talk about being a dad. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to talk about the way that Jesus is telling me how I'm an okay dad, even though I'm a bad dad, but I feel <laughs> bad about it. So I want to be good. And how do I make that a new episode? Because I feel like I said that. For a while. Yeah. I, I secured, oh my gosh, I have something else. <laughs> we so, don't move on as fast as we think we do. <sighs> That's, I wish that wasn't as true as it feels. <laughs> and 
back in this meeting, I appreciate you have a candor. Candor, because I was say candidacy. Yeah, but that's like how you run for president. Yeah, you have a Candace as a, <laughs> as a secretary. She's very nice. You have a candor. Is that the word? Yeah, you're the MFA here. Yep. To you that we asked Luke, what are you thinking about? And your answer, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it went something like this: um, How about the deep existential angst that I am feeling all of the time, and the anxiety <laughs> that comes burrowing up from below? Or you guys could talk about memes. <laughs> is that, Who's that, the MFA now? <laughs> does that sound... That rings a bell. <laughs> like something that you might say? I think so. Yes. Especially the memes part. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You throw that in there and basically like a signature for you. I'm writing my thesis on it. Are you really? <laughs> no, but I could. Yeah. Well, well it would be about semiotics, right? Because it's really just a, thinking about how information is disseminated. So that's all memes are. <laughs> and you have just revealed to the world that I'm the dumb one. No, that's <laughs> that me I'm just the trying dumb to, brother. No, that's oh me trying gosh. to cover my tracks or like being a nerd. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> They're like, wow, Blaine, he's got these deep thoughts and big words. And so does Luke. What does Sam really do? <laughs> Sam just interviews his brothers and <laughs> it's fine. Don't talk to me. All we have is our unique obsessions. <laughs> wow. You're just full of these little like <laughs> tweets. We don't move on as fast as we wish we would. All we have is our unique obsessions. And now let's visit the deep, dark angst. So today we actually are talking about anxiety, um, mm-hmm. something that you actually wrote an article on. Mm-hmm. How many volumes ago was that? I wrote it last winter. So who knows? That was, yeah, so maybe last issue. Then. I think it was last issue, yeah. Wow, time flies when you're having crippling anxiety, huh? The opposite, I'm told. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Hypervigilance really does slow things down. Yeah, yep. So I don't know if you want, Luke, to take us back into like why you had that idea on the table Mm -hmm. or if it was one of those moments where you're like, hey, here's an idea that somebody else should do. And now, oh no, you've asked me to do it. But there's a lot of different ways I feel like we could begin having this conversation. And for folks that are regular listeners to the podcast, they'll know. We just did an episode on the topic of depression, mm-hmm. and a friend of mine, Joel, once told me in his very um, direct manner, if you ever do anything on depression, you need to do something on anxiety mm-hmm. because they go hand in hand. You don't get to separate them. And I was like, what? I've always felt like those are two different things. Yeah. And come to unpack that they're, they're very much not. Mm-hmm. Though they are very distinct. Right. There's my springboard for you. Yeah, no, I'll start I'll start two places um with the original question of why anxiety. Um I think the first place is just the fact that we don't really talk about anxiety. And I think especially in the Christian world, the church world, we really just don't talk about anxiety. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that that we can get into. Um, yeah, what are some right off the top? Well, I think anxiety feels like failure. Mm. The very fact that you feel anxiety about something yes. um, feels like you are failing because you're feeling anxiety because you can't handle the situation is what I think some of us feel. That's the verdict. Right. So like stress is just our body's reaction to a situation. 
uh, and to use the jargon, a threat factor. Um, so a bear is chasing you in the woods. You feel stress. Um, you have an exam the next day. That stress, um, kind of a one-to-one relationship to you in the world. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is your body's reaction to stress. Mm-hmm. So it's one step removed from whatever's kind of causing the stress. Yeah, it's not the action. It's the reaction. Yeah, it's the reaction. Um, it's fight or flight. It's the, your sympathetic nervous system going crazy. Um, and I think, A, we don't talk about it. Because it makes us feel like we're failures. Because it makes us feel like we're failures, you know? And I think especially, like, um, speaking as, like, a man, there's something about, like, man, I can't handle my life. Like, anxiety is telling me that I can't handle the stressful situation. Yeah. Um, so there's, like, a feeling of inadequacy there. Yeah. You're not really bringing up your crippling anxiety at the CrossFit gym or no. at work in any no. way, shape, or form. Or like meeting someone or like yeah. your professional world. Hey, Joe, how's it going, man? Oh, great. Just uh, barely got out of bed this morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not really a conversation that goes down very often. No. Um, unless you're talking about memes, then it is. <laughs> um, back to your dissertation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one way that we talk about it is through humor. Um, because so many of our like social circles are like worlds in which we need to perform. Hmm. Like you need to show up, you need to do the thing. Um, and so anxiety is not going to be something that you're going to be um, transparent about in a world where you need to perform, um, either professionally or in school or relationally. Um, so often anxiety is just going to only exist in the, in the internal world, mm-hmm. which of course is where it gets thrive. It thrives and gets worse. Yeah. Um, and then I think especially like in the, in the church culture, anxiety is not talked about because there's something to like, oh man, if I, if I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and I can't do any of this, then I have a moral and spiritual failing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not praying enough. I'm not tithing enough. I'm not like, there's a spiritual deficit that's yes. causing this in me. The reservoir that is Christ in someone is very low in me, apparently. Yeah. Because if Christ in me is giving me the strength, then there doesn't seem to be very much of him. Yeah. And I don't want to reveal that either. No. That's because like then sh- they might kick me out. Exactly. You're like showing your cards. And so it's like you're a failure and also like you're failing in your spiritual life. Mm. Um, and then there's also, I think, like on the other side of that coin, there's also a glorification of suffering. Like this is your cross to bear. Yeah. Um, you're like joining in Christ's sufferings. Um, and so there's also that feeling of just like, no, this is just the way things are. Um, and therefore, we don't talk about it. Yeah. Which is staggering, right? Because the latest data I saw was that slightly over 18% of adults over the age of 18 have anxiety in the United States, wrestle with some form of it and some degree of it or another. Yep. So um, I think the latest data was that anxiety is the most common mental illness in America, mm-hmm. um, and over 40 million adults in the United States have it. Yeah. So that's 40 million people that have said something. Yes. You know? That's where my mind went to. Right? And like, it's like... Let's take a poll. Anybody here feeling anxious? Who's going to raise their <laughs> hand? Nobody, it's the right? anxious people that won't. Because that's kind of the problem. Let's put the spotlight on you. You have failure. And then I like see some data of like, man, 30% of people that have anxiety seek help. Mm. Part of me goes like, well, how do you know that if yeah. you, know, you don't know who's not seeking help? But we do know that 
it's just really uncommon, especially among men, to seek help for anxiety. Yeah, which is interesting because my neuroscience textbook was talking about it's much more likely for women to experience anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that sort of what you're naming is there's a, a question that might not be being asked in there of, is that true? Or are women more likely to go ask for help? And men are more likely to just grab their knees and rock softly back and forth. Which has been proven countless times. Yeah. You know, like um, they did a study of like students in school. And if you run into a problem, um, women are 90% more likely to go to the teacher first. Mm. as like a first resort. How much more likely? Uh, it's up there. I don't want to, I don't want to, it's been a while since I read the data. So oh, I thought, like, I thought you said, and it would seem to be one of those, you know, 70% of statistics are made up on the spot type yeah, things. Yeah, 98%. <laughs> okay, I cool. don't know are more likely to go to a teacher first and yeah. whereas uh, male students go to the teacher as the last possible resort yes as you've tried every other option it's almost like going to the hangman a little bit yeah because I mean again it's that kind of like exposure of I, couldn't, I, I have failed I couldn't cut it yeah yeah exactly so I think that to go back all the way to why I want to talk about anxiety of, yeah we don't talk about it um, and there's a bunch of reasons why right there. Mm. Um, and I think the other reason of wanting to talk about it is my own experience with anxiety. Yeah. So I can kind of start there also. Please, go for um, it. So I have this memory of going through high school and being able to fall asleep within minutes of lying down. I'm imagining you with like narcolepsy falling asleep like in your desk during chemistry <laughs> class, but that's not what you mean. No, I mean like you go to bed at the end of the, the lights, day, end of the day, yes, and being able to fall asleep immediately, yes. Um, and I would have friends that would come over and sleep over, and they would be so perplexed at my ability to fall asleep so fast, yeah. And I didn't really get that until I would go to college and I mm. start experiencing stress that I have at levels that I've never experienced before. And all of a sudden, like my ability to fall asleep is gone. Mm. Um, It like takes hours and hours. um, And that's kind of continued through. Um, And so that was like my first kind of like, huh, this is weird. Um, And then the second large experience is last year in November, getting a dog. Mm. So second year of grad school, commuting two hours, two days a week. And we're going to, we put down a deposit on a dog and we're going to get a dog. Yeah. Cause you know, uh, nice restful season of life to do that. Yeah. But also like, you know, it's, uh, everyone's in quarantine, national stay at home order. Everybody's getting pets. Yeah. I heard that the humane society was empty during lockdown for a while. Yeah. Everybody was adopting. I've heard they're Sadly, feeling back up again now that people realize what it's like to have a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we were a part of that and we always wanted a dog and it was just like time. So we get, we get the the deposit down and it's getting closer to actually picking up the dog. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just have starting like this increasing level of anxiety about bringing this life home and being in charge of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think. The thing about anxiety is, right, the stress is I need to take care of an animal. Anxiety says, no, what's at stake is you might kill it. Um, So the stake with anxiety is either I will die or I'm going to cause someone else to die. 
Mm. Like those are the stakes that anxiety takes, moves stress to, is that level. Mm. And so um, I'm driving down thinking about this, thinking about like, okay, I need to get the book. I need to read the book. I need to figure out a vet, all of these things. Yes. And I start like hyperventilating. My chest gets super tight. Um, and I realize that I'm having an anxiety attack. Mm. Um, so I think people are really familiar with the term like a panic attack. Yeah. Um, and panic attacks come out of nowhere. Um, if you have a panic attack, you generally think that you're going to die. Some people think that they're having a seizure when they're having a panic attack. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't generally have a trigger. Mm. Um, an anxiety attack is like all the same symptoms, just a lower degree. And it has a very specific trigger and then like slowly escalates. Yeah. Usually you can follow the mental path of how you got there mm -hmm. and why you're experiencing these physical symptoms increasing. Yeah. Right. And panic attacks often send you to the hospital. Anxiety attacks usually don't. Yeah. I'm curious about the panic attacks. If they feel like there's maybe more dissonance with what's going on in your body mm. and in your mind. Yeah. And you're just not maybe tracking and then something will trigger it behind the scenes. Right. And you're like, oh my gosh, why do I feel all these things? Why am I on the floor and I can't breathe? Yeah. And you're like, well, your body, your mind were doing things. You just weren't really aware of them. Yeah. And so maybe right. that's just a, that's just a working theory on panic attacks. Whereas anxiety attacks, you're naming like, I'm following the worst yellow brick road ever. Right, right. And it's that kind of tunnel vision mm. um, of focusing on, yeah, like worse, worse outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, I read this crazy thing um, and I think it was by the American Psychological Association uh, published this article in 2020 that said that stress in America is a national health crisis. Like stress the, in general or stress in this current moment in time? Stress in 2020. Yeah. Stress currently yeah. Um, is a national health crisis. And just looking at the, the prevalence that like, I think, oh man, I remember being- Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Can I pause you? Yes. Because there's, there's a lot going on there and, and you, you seem ready to move past walking us through a moment where you experience anxiety. Mm. How, how are you feeling in your body right now having taken us back to that moment? Do you feel relaxed? Do you well, feel stressed it's, even right now? You, I feel all the things that we just talked about of like why we don't talk about it. Mm. There's this feeling of like, wait, why? Like we got the puppy and it was fine. Sure. And he's great. Yeah. Um, and so there's that little bit of like hindsight of realizing that like you feel i feel tight in my body i feel like oh man just that mm -hmm. kind of feeling of being overwhelmed and i think that it's not just bringing the dog home it's like the the accumulation of so many different stressors yeah you know like the the paper that's due the next day um needing to commute like it just it all adds up right to the point where it's like you lose the ability to visualize yourself being able to handle your life. Right. And each one of those things you name, just the paper that's due the next day, that's not just like, oh, I have to go grocery shopping. That, that's the tip of an iceberg that carries its own momentum and stress and speculation as you're thinking into the time you've invested, the money you've invested, your worth in that arena and what the future in that arena holds. That, 
that's what a paper is. Yeah. It's not just, oh, if I write down a bunch of words, then I can just hit send. There's a, a ton to oh, that right? single piece. So you end it's up like having a- these little tips of the iceberg kind of meeting together going mm-hmm. like, oh, look, there's all these different factors. And it's like, yeah, but they all expand outward. They all have an immense weight to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Identity, performance, like. So you're looking yeah. backwards going, we got the dog and it was fine, which seems to double down on the verdict of you can't handle even things that are going to be fine. Yeah. You overreacted. Therefore, something is wrong with you. Right. Yeah. It, it's like such a, um, just like cutting your feet out from under you in that cycle yeah. of feeling anxiety, validating anxiety, um, living with anxiety. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a question, but before we get to that, I, w- I want to explore this piece a little bit more. Um, if you're willing to, how do you experience anxiety personally? You were beginning to walk us through that in the car. Mm-hmm. It's like the chest tightening, the tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. Um, you named sleep in college and, mm-hmm. and restlessness. Like, what what are the the personal symptoms that will help you realize? Oh, this isn't my norm. I am experiencing not, maybe not as extreme as an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. I'm experiencing a season where I wonder how long this has been going on. Yeah, I'm anxious. I'm yeah. living with anxiety. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, like loss of sleep, um, feeling it in your body. So like stomach aches. I think we all carry our stress in different places in our body. Mm-hmm. Stomach is a very common one. So having like stomach pain um, and then having that just restless mind that's yeah. just constantly thinking through and visualizing scenarios. Yeah. Um, Can we amplify it even? It's a, a hyper-vigilant, hyperactive mind, yeah. not only restless. It's, mm-hmm. it's spinning at a million miles a minute. Yeah. You know, like and this is so common that we have idioms about it of like, you know, don't fight your battles twice. Cross that bridge when you get into it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Tommy, how helpful have those been for you? Well, they're incredibly unhelpful, but they just go to show you that this is so common um, that we even have phrases about it that like everyone knows and has heard of like, yeah, you visualize like, okay, I am guest teaching a class. Mm-hmm. Um I'm thinking about guest teaching that class for like three months. Yeah. You know, and like visualizing it and thinking through it. Um, and then so much of it is in your body. So like fight or flight basically is uh anxiety stress response. Yeah. Um so it's a it's a stress response, but because of anxiety, you're feeling it all the time. So you're like your blood pressure is elevated. Um, your senses are heightened. It's like the input from the world is just heightened. Yeah. Because uh, your brain is like, we need to be on high alert. At, to survive. At all times. Right. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It sounds unsustainable. Like eventually burnout, eventually mm-hmm. collapse, eventually mm-hmm. breakdown. Like, I don't know how you're able to maintain elevated heart rate, elevated thought patterns, elevated uh, breathing and not eventually what? Right. It's unsustainable. You have a mental breakdown or you have uh, a health crisis. Hmm. Like you, something happens in your body or like 
your brain can't sustain it. And I think this is why like anxiety is so common with depression. Yeah. And and vice versa. You know, like I think it's so common for people that struggle with anxiety to not be able to get out of bed in the morning um because they've passed that breaking point and they mm. like being able to muster the energy to like keep going. Like I have lots of memories of being in college around finals and finding myself just like in the fetal position on my mattress waiting for the wave to pass mm. of just that that crushing sense of the future is impossible. Yeah. And you'd like waiting for that to like pass to get up and keep going. Yeah. Um, and that being kind of a common experience of just like you stop. Or you find comforts, you know, you find the like the alcohol or the whatever that like the little bit of dopamine. Probably tools for dissociation. Yeah. Are the things that work. Right. On the unhealthy side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I can understand why anxiety and depression get layered on top of each other because when you when you've experienced you know what your day holds when you've been living in anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know what your what your mind and your body are going to do when you begin to hit those familiar stress mm-hmm. points that are going to amplify things or trigger things or mm-hmm. confirm things that you were afraid of or or dreading their arrival. And so well, yeah, why why engage when you know what you're going to have is going to be an onslaught of a really isolating and a really exhausting and a really, truly kind of an impossible battle. Mm-hmm. So how could you not experience depression at the end of that? Yeah. Yeah, because I think like some of the symptoms are the same because after living with anxiety for a while, small tasks become really hard and require a lot of energy. Um, and so you start limiting the amount of things you have to do, mm-hmm. um, and therefore like self-isolating, um, not going out, not leaving your house, like limiting the amount of tasks that you are required to do in a day to just minimize the triggers, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. it kind of starts to look the same. Yeah. I have experienced some levels of anxiety, not, not to the degree that you are naming. And I wonder how. Like if we were actually able to go, I think we all experience anxiety, mm-hmm. actually. If I were yeah. to say like, hey, across the board, um, anxiety is just another way of saying hypervigilance and your body and your mind are wired to keep you alive. And so this fight, flight, freeze piece, we've, we're no longer living in the wilderness, probably if you're listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> um, I'm sure I know there's still people are, but for the most part, driving along in your air-conditioned vehicle, your body and mind don't have to be worried about being attacked by a wild animal at any moment. But we are vigilant with things that could happen, that that could cause harm or death or any number of things. And so there's a degree to which I want to go, like, we all experience this. Mm -hmm. And that that actually, like, I want to destigmatize it to go, Mm -hmm. you feel this too, but maybe to a lesser degree than people who would say, I have anxiety mm-hmm. and all of the baggage that comes with that. What I think is really interesting, um, the little I've, I've seen in the therapy world, 
there's there's some wrestlings with um we find a survival mechanism that works. So there's a little bit of the the equation of like anxiety is actually serving mm. you because it is the way that your body is learning to protect itself. So it's not even necessarily the enemy all the time. There's there's almost like a welcoming of mm. it. Um, as much as you might hate or feel ambivalent about that, there's a degree to which anxiety serves you. And there's probably not a future where there's zero anxiety. That that that, that scale is not going to go all the way down to nothing. Mm-hmm. And and what? What? I mean, in real time right now, like, what do you what do you think about that, Luke? Like, that's that's a conversation that's not uncommon. You probably wouldn't have it this this quickly, but it'd mm-hmm. be a piece of like being aware, being being vigilant. Um, that has served you, mm-hmm. and not always been the thing riding you. Sometimes that's been a, a tool you you have wielded. Mm-hmm. Right, because anxiety and feeling anxiety is like a, a large spectrum of mm-hmm. like degree. Um, so there's a difference between being on a mountain and a thunderstorm and there's a medical emergency that's a really high stress yeah. to like, I need to call the doctor and make an appointment. Yeah. Lower stress. Um, and anxiety is present and it's informing you that there are stakes. Right. There's stakes and it matters. I need to be focused and prepared. Yes. Um, so like my own anxiety, like one of the fruits of it is I'm way over prepared for everything that I do. Um, which In means case that you didn't pick up on that earlier when you began naming you is now the listener and also Luke. When Luke began naming all of the things he did when he was getting the dog, that was a snapshot into yeah. the ways that anxiety presents a problem. And then you have a response that you mount to it, which is mm-hmm. that super prepared, read all the books, get all the things and, and be ready mm-hmm. to receive the new weight. Right. Um, but I think the problem with that is, is when a situation that should cause level one anxiety causes a level 10 anxiety mm. and you're at level 10 all the time. Yeah. Um, and being prepared doesn't really matter because then it's just like losing quality of living. Yeah. You turn into a prepper. You're like, I am very prepared, and I'm living in my bunker, waiting for the end of the world. And you're like, yeah, because like what anxiety is, is suffering. Mm. Like you in anxiety, it's painful. It hurts. Like there's this genuine feeling of like being suffocated by the world. Yeah. Uh, and so, like in one sense, like everyone feels anxiety. Everyone feels stress. Mm-hmm. But there's like a spectrum where anxiety is helpful and then it gets like really unhelpful. Yeah. Especially when you're living it. Cause I think like why the American Psychology Association said that stress is a like a mental health crisis in the US is that we're, we're addicted to stress. Mm. Like we love stress. Like if you talk to someone you haven't seen, they're like, oh, how are you? How are you? And like, oh man, I'm so busy. Like that's a badge of honor. That's like, if you're if you're not stressed, then somehow you're not like doing enough, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's crazy. So throw more more fuel in that fire. Yeah, get get, the, get those emotions up. Get mm-hmm. the get those wheels spinning, and you're like, well, I've been working really hard to not, and it feels impossible almost to not 
be presented as a failure because on the one hand, if you're swept down the current of anxiety, you like I, the verdict's out. I'm a failure because I couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not super busy and you're like, oh yeah, it's just a really chill season, then you're a failure because you're not addicted to stress and yeah. movement and busyness like everybody else. Right. I like our options here, Luke. This feels very helpful. I know. My wife, Susie, has experienced um, the varying degrees of anxiety. And I remember doing some reading here for encouraging spouses who have a partner that's living with anxiety and the tension and the the lack of empathy that can mm. be there. Because anxiety is this weird it is part future, part present. Mm. Anxiety is experiencing all of the hypervigilance and the preparedness for an event that might happen. So all of that is future-oriented and therefore not real, Mm -hmm. right? Like you getting the dog and maybe the dog dying or you're going to mess it up or uh, the paper, which is going to fail and and result in you failing your program, which is going to derail your trajectory, like all mm-hmm. where the mind gets super hyperactive, you're thinking about things that might happen. But the physical experience and the reaction that you're having is real and is in the present. Mm. And that to me was really helpful to begin separating some of those things going, okay, anxiety is complicated because it's both real and not real. Mm-hmm. It is present and future oriented. And as someone who is walking in life with someone else who is wrestling with that, you can experience, I can experience a burnout of, of empathy because I'm not experiencing the same future event that you are. Mm. I'm just living in the present with you. Mm-hmm. And present you is some degree of anxious and uh, incapacitated and dwelling on some event. Um, Playfully, I, I took a, I took notes one day when Susie was pregnant with, I think, our second child. Just all of the things that she thought a lot about that day, mm-hmm. and read it back to her like twelve months later, and was like, okay, the, this is this was meant to be cruel. This mm-hmm. was meant to be playful. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what you were really worried about, and she laughed like it mm-hmm. cracked her up. Once she was out of the moment, yeah. But in the moment, I was not making those notes to be funny. I was right. taking those notes to be like. One of us has to be crazy here, right? And I think it might be me, and I'm not sure. So I need some empirical data. Right. Which is a really poor posture for your loved one to be in. Outing myself here, I'm like, that's not an empathetic place. Right. Which I think just compounds the sense of isolation that the person living with anxiety is Mm -hmm. experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, I think just naming that, like, the reality that it is for the person and that it's not a reality for the people around that person. Um, I'm aware too of like the spiral that occurs in anxiety. Um, you know, you called it like the the horrible yellow brick road. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm one for metaphors. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and like the loving thing to do is try to help to get the person off of that yellow brick road, mm. but also at the same time needing to validate the reality of the emotion that's got yes. them on that road. Right. Um, without really being able to know what are these, what are the underlying triggers, like what are the life or death stakes that 
you can't be aware of because the person's probably not aware of. Hmm. You know, for like for me and the dog, like the, there's these underlying stakes of like, like loss and, and death and like pretty high stakes. Yeah, and I'm not really thinking about that in the moment. I'm not quite aware that that's what's maybe generating it. You know, I'm just thinking about like being responsible, right? You know, and you're like, no, this is good. I need to be responsible. Yeah, and so your partner would be like, well, but you're incapacitated (laughs) so it's not good yeah so my question then luke is what what does help you and and what are moments of good response in in low stakes anxiety and in high stakes of attack where it's hard to see be into your peripheral vision at all yeah what works what's helpful yeah well what's so interesting is you know i get online and i read what's helpful and it's like drink less coffee exercise eat better get professional help don't read the news get professional help. yeah get on medication yeah and i'm like man all those things are good but also like they sound really really hard mm. um because i think like there's almost a desire to attack the thing that's the comfort for it being an escape rather than addressing like why I'm turning to that escape. Um, so I think some things that like generally do help. Um, God, is there anything right now? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, right. I mean, partly it's the over-preparing, mm. you know, it's the, okay, I've created all of these situations. I'm just going to be ready for each one. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's extreme, like I'm going to buy all of this equipment for the, the puppy that we don't really need, but I'm going to have all those Amazon boxes show up that Olivia is like looking through and wondering why we have all this stuff. <laughs> um, and then in another sense, it's like, okay, I'm preparing for like a lecture that I'm going to give. I'm going to have all of my notes. I'm going to practice. And then like that level of preparation allows me to kind of put that off the shelf of my brain yeah um and divert attention which strikes me that it's complicated because some of that preparation i would want to encourage like Mm -hmm. no that's okay that's good and others of it feels more like manic and maybe requires a little bit of intervention of like slow down breathe you don't need to buy all of these things And then, I know. When I was teaching my class last semester, I would always have like twice as much content yeah. as I would ever need. Yes. You know, and so like every class, it was a lesson in planning less, mm. you know, and like opening up more of your time. Um, I think something else that helps is like breathing exercises. Yeah, yeah. You know, like box breathing is a super popular one right now. What's it's box like, breathing? You inhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds. Um, So it's a box because you're like, um, you know, it's four sets of four seconds, you know. Walk us through just two sets right now. Okay. So inhale, hold, exhale, hold. Inhale, hold, exhale, hold. Yeah, so that's box breathing. Mm. Uh, The Navy SEALs do it. 
when they're doing their super. I, man, even just those two rounds, I thought yeah. that was really good. Surprising. Yes. Yeah. Another one is belly breathing where um, you just really focus on when you inhale, pushing out your gut mm. and keeping your shoulders down. Yeah. Um, because again, like we want to suck in our guts. We want to hold those guts in. Um, and so when we breathe, we often like lift our shoulders, um, which actually can sometimes trigger adrenaline in the body. Um, whereas mm-hmm. if you keep those shoulders down and inhale with your stomach, your lungs press on your diaphragm, um, and that can actually release like serotonin, <laughs> um, and actually like help regulate yourself. So sometimes I'll do that and it's just three seconds in, three seconds out, um, focusing on just relaxing my shoulders and, yeah. um, I remember I took an acting class in college because I went to a liberal arts school. Ha ha, Sam. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but you're listening to my podcast, so it clearly worked. Uh, and and she, the professor was telling us, like, you don't you, – you knew how to breathe correctly as a kid, mm-hmm. but then you learned that sticking out your belly wasn't attractive, and so now you breathe wrong. Mm-hmm. You breathe with, up to high with your lungs. Mm-hmm. If you want to be able to speak and project and act well, you have to relearn how to breathe. And yeah. she, I remember she was teaching us that belly breathing of breathing yeah. with your diaphragm and being okay that, like, actually – can expand more where there's not a rib cage in yeah. the way. Something I'm intrigued with here, Luke, as we're as we're talking about things that work. Um, we did this experiment with Susie that was recommended by my neuroscience readings, and it's the uh, observation changes behavior. Mm-hmm. I, I might have talked about it in the podcast before, but th- the experiment is basically like over the course of a week, you're going to keep a, a cat scratch tally each day when you experience the thing. So you're not trying to Stop it, judge it, or change it in in that week. So mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, I'm drinking a lot or I'm experiencing anxiety or I keep finding myself on my phone or whatever it is. And so in this case, anxiety. And you, when you feel anxious, you make a note. You just do a little cat scratch. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to judge or change or do anything else. Mm-hmm. And what they noticed is that our noticing in a day mm. actually causes us to change how we behave. So mm. in our little experiment, um, this was like a particularly stressful week for Susie. She began, she just watched it as it like 10 times the first day, seven times the second day, two times the third day, mm-hmm. five times the fifth day, mm-hmm. zero time. And then it like, she stopped needing to do it because all of a sudden she had like processed through. Not that one week will solve your anxiety overload. But something that I'm intrigued by is the common thread between the breathing, the box breathing, the belly breathing, and the observation. Mm -hmm. As there seems to be this need to integrate your physical being Mm -hmm. and your mind. Yeah. And to slow it down. Yeah. And one of the things they were noticing in the neuroscience arena was that anxiety is a certain physical reaction. You know, like palms are sweaty, your your chest Mm -hmm. is tight, your breathing and heart rate are elevated. And other things can do that to you, mm-hmm. like caffeine, and you will associate it with anxiety, right? When you actually might not be anxious, and that thus that like their observation piece, it was like slow down, pay attention. Are you actually anxious right now, or did you just have too many cups of coffee this morning, mm-hmm. and therefore it's giving you some of the same physical symptoms, but your mind doesn't need to rush off down the the awful yellow brick road. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just I'm intrigued by that that thread of how integrated are we yeah. body and mind 
Yeah, I think two ideas that come off of that is what you were saying about anxiety being future and present. Um, presently, you're feeling it in your body, but you're thinking about a future situation. And so that the breathing, the integration is like bringing that future mind back to your present body. Um, mm. I think that's awesome. And then I think too, I was reminded of, took a public speaking course. Um, uh, I took it as immersion therapy. Yeah. Okay. Oh I was like, man, I think public speaking is like the number one fear of most people. I think it is the number one yeah. fear still. Yeah. Above death, yes. right? Jerry like Seinfeld's out. joke. Yeah. <laughs> people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is like, so that's true for me too. That's like a guaranteed anxiety inducing event. So I took a public speaking class to like immersion therapy, just try to do it a bunch to try to get over it. Um, and it honestly really helped. Um, I just realized I said, um, cause I was thinking about my, uh, my public speaking professor yes. telling me never to do that. You're not allowed to have those, what is the term Verbal filler. Yes. But also if you never have a verbal filler, you sound like a robot. Yes. I do not hesitate ever. I speak more perfect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's in our constitution. So it counts. There you go. Uh, more perfect. You need. Um, so we kind of actually need verbal fillers. Anyways, a piece of advice that he gave me was that elevated heart rate, that elevated breathing, your body also does that when you're excited mm -hmm. to do something. It's the, actually the same feeling in the body. And so his advice was when you were feeling that anxiety to tell yourself, I'm excited. Mm. I'm excited to do this. Kind of like when you're going to like do something kind of Scary way, exciting, like jump off a rock into a lake. That's like fun, but it's triggering all those same things of like, oh, I'm actually, I'm excited to do this. This is something that I want to do. And that really helped, especially when I have been teaching because I'm teaching and that's something I want to do, but it's also public speaking. And so it's generating all of those feelings in my body, but I tell myself, no, like I want to do this. I'm excited to do this. Super good. Yeah. Also helpful. Yeah. I think... Like of all the things we've talked about that helps, the number one thing that all of these licensed professionals have said that helps the most is talking about it hmm. and talking about it to someone. Because we started this podcast saying, like, I want to talk about it because we don't. Um, and so if you are struggling with anxiety, the number one thing that's going to help you is to talk to someone, not change the way you eat, change your exercise, get off caffeine all of a sudden perform legalistic surgery on your life. Um, it's just, just talking to someone. And that doesn't have to be professional right away. That can be just someone that you have trust in. 